0: You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at InforumSF.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as InforumSF.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming tonight. Um, we have a lovely program tonight at uh, Uh, We have a love. Sorry, let's restart that. This is a podcast editing, right? We can just chop it. Hello and welcome to tonight's (laughs) program with Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Seth Marceau, reporter and producer at YR Media. And tonight I have the extreme pleasure of hosting this conversation about the power of youth in our politics. Tonight, we have some incredible panelists. We have Nora Hilton, mayoral appointee and chair of the Transformative Justice Committee at the San Francisco Youth Commission. We have Rigel Robinson, Berkeley City Council member. Lexi Tesh, junior at Berkeley High School and the former chair of the Berkeley Youth Commission. And Scott Warren, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Generation Citizen, as well as the author of Generation Citizen, The Power of Youth in Our Politics. We have a lot to talk about tonight, so let's get to it. So I thought maybe we could just start out with you guys explaining yourselves a little bit better than maybe I can, and so that our audience as well as I can get to know you. Um, Rigel, if you wouldn't mind, let's start with you. Um, As I understand, you are the youngest ever Berkeley City Council member? You're not wrong. Wow, that's really impressive. Congratulations to you. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's like and how you got there? I'd love to, yeah. I um, was lucky enough to graduate from UC Berkeley
2: last May. Uh, and took a, an interesting job post-grad in November. Uh, and and that, that election was was really, really thrilling for, for the country in a lot of ways. You know, we, we took back the House, Nancy got her gavel back, but underneath all the, the federal races all over the country, countless, countless new candidates, first-time candidates, people who never saw themselves in elected office, people of color, women, LGBT, LGBT people, and young people especially, were running for office for the first time and finding success in doing so. And there's an incredible network of down-ballot elected officials all over the country that ran for office for the first time and won. And I am deeply honored to have been a very, very small,
1: small part of that. Well, congratulations. Thank you, Rigel. Um, Nora, you're part of the SF Youth Commission and you're a junior in high school. What motivated you to get involved and what does it take to get appointed?
0: Well, um, I was motivated to join the Youth Commission or apply for the Youth Commission, I guess, because I really cared about what happened in San Francisco. I've lived in San Francisco my entire life, and I I care about, like, all the people in it. So I decided that I wanted to do something to affect change, and, like, I saw a lot of things that were wrong with the city, and I wanted to be a part in fixing those things because I think it's important that everyone have a voice in the city. And I don't think you necessarily need to like, have anything to, like, make a change in your city. Like, I don't think it's, like, about something special that I have or something special that other youth commissioners have, really. I think it's just, like, everyone's saying these things, and I think just kind of, like, saying them loudly and, like, applying for things, making sure that people are listening when you're talking is really the most important thing in joining anything like the youth commission or anything else, so.
1: Thank you, Nora. And Lexi, you also are on or used to be the chair of the Berkeley Youth Commission, What's that like?
3: Um, yeah, so I used to be on it up until this year um, due to complications and such, but it was really a lot of fun. I really um, did learn more about local government, about how you can talk to city council about writing letters and um, recommendations and things like that, and so it was a really good experience to learn more about local government because I was um, pretty informed about, you know, how state politics work and, like, you know, our national um, government and how to get things passed, but I didn't know too much about, like, actually in my own city, so it was a really good way to learn about that.
1: And on top of not only being a high school student and a leader in your community, you're also a Generation Citizen alum. And could you tell us a little bit about how you got into the program and what it offered you, what access it offered you?
3: Yeah. So um, in eighth grade, Generation Citizen came to my class for a semester and And when they come to your class, you focus on a community issue that you want to help resolve. And so my class decided to work on youth homelessness. And we recognized that in our city, there was a youth homeless shelter, but it was only open for half of the year due to um, a lack of funding. So we wanted to help Um, asked Berkeley City Council to pass a resolution to fund it year-round. And after advocating, talking to city council members, talking to homeless in Berkeley, talking to um, organizations that helped youth homeless, we decided um, that we wanted to go speak at a city council meeting. Um, And after that, in June of 2016, the resolution was passed in Berkeley. So now they have a year-round youth homeless shelter. And that was kind of my starting point. So yeah.
1: Congratulations. That's such really important, incredible work you're doing. And Scott, you, I mean, obviously Lexi told us a little bit about Generation Citizen, but being one of the minds behind the organization itself, could you tell us a little bit about just how you started this monumental movement? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you calling it that. Um, (laughs)
4: I mean very succinctly because because we believe in in young people like lexi and and those on on the stage and and because uh, in a moment in which I think our, our democracy itself is at risk, the thing, and, and this is what I wrote about, but the thing that, that can save us like it has throughout our history is, is young people. It's the, the idealism that, that young people have and bring uh, every single day to their lives in terms of being able to envision democracy for, for what it can be for rather than what it is today. Um, my own background, uh, really briefly, so I, I'm originally from, from San Diego, California, where I actually was this morning. I gave a, a talk at my local library last night, which was really fun, um, but I haven't lived in California since I was eight years old, which my team who's here today reminds me of all the time. Um, so, so I live in, in New York now. But uh, when, when I was eight years old, my, my dad actually joined the, the State Department the Foreign Service. So I spent eight to 18 growing up abroad, moving every few years, living in, in Latin America and East Africa and had a number of experiences where I really saw uh, the power of democracy at work. So I had the opportunity to observe the first truly democratic elections in, in Kenya's history where I was living uh, in, in 10th grade in, in 2002 and saw how excited people were to, to change the collective trajectory of their country's history. Opposition candidate won, which, which in emerging democracies rarely happen. Um, and then the flip side of that saw the fragility of democracy. Uh, graduated from, from high school in Ecuador in 2005, was there in the midst of a coup. My parents were or in Zimbabwe, um, when I was in college, and I, I met with opposition members there in the in the midst of violent runoff elections and um, they, who were literally willing to put their lives on the line for for the sake of this this concept of democracy for the sake of, of having voice in, in, in their own in their own government. Um, and I think the the, the 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 notion of the power of what happens, which we're hearing, uh, when people actually come together to make that collective difference But also the fragility of democracy is a concept that co- has to constantly be built has to constantly be be molded and cultivated It's not static and uh, and can never be taken for granted Which I think in this country is something that that we perhaps forgot about until recent years is something that motivated me to to start Generation citizen when I came back to, to college here I think there's this outdated trope that young people are apathetic and not paying attention to what's going on in the world. I mean, all you have to do is pay attention to the young people here to realize that that's misguided. But young people often don't see politics and government as the best way to affect change. Um, there's a whole host of reasons for that, but one is that we're not really teaching civics anymore. Mm-hmm. And when we are, it's the most boring class in school. Here, for three branches of government, here, it's how a bill becomes a law. So, what at its core GC is trying to do is to, to, to reinvigorate democracy to be the most powerful concept to get civics to be the most exciting class where as you saw with Lexi kids are taking action on issues that are so core to their being so core to their lived experience uh, and then our education system is really about the, the 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 mission upon which it was founded ensuring that the next generation uh, of, of citizens in this country are responsible and able to take uh, the reins of our democracy so that's that's sort of how it was founded I don't know for the groundbreaking organization that, that you say we were but we're, we're trying uh and and all over the country and and uh uh, it's young people like Lexi that give us the the energy to do what we do every day.
1: That's that's fantastic. And you know, you speak a lot about just making civics important and making youth understand how exciting and how they can possibly be active in civics themselves what is the difference like what are people not teaching what are people not understanding or passing along to these youth to make them interested and engaged in civics well i think there's a whole host of things
4: one is that uh we don't teach civics to the extent we used to. So uh, if I were to ask everyone here, I can barely see people here, but if I were to ask everyone here how many folks took a civics class, I'd venture to say like 20, 30% of people would raise their hands. If I were to ask people how many people took a math class, everyone would raise their hands, right? Why is why is the the, the notion of educating people to actually take... Charge of our democracy, something that's that's not prioritized is something that I think we ask every day. But but on top of that, civics is seen as here are the three branches of government. Here's how government actually works. And for young people, it's not relevant to what they're actually experiencing on a daily basis. Uh, and I think on top of that, a lot of young people in this country are are mistrustful of government and public institutions for very valid reasons. The the experience they have with their public schools, with public institutions, with how they see politics is one of overwhelming negativity. Um, so I think what we're trying to do is to ensure in, in our classes, young people take action on very local issues they care about. So, so Lexi, class focused on homelessness in, in the Bay Area, as one can imagine. Folks are, are, are focused on issues like homelessness, uh, on gentrification, on housing. So issues that are very relevant to their lives. And then they learn about politics, through actually taking action on issues they care about. Uh, and the other thing that's, that's really important is that they're focused on local politics, on the local level. Um, we're all so obsessed with what's happening at the federal level. Who's tweeted what? What's going? on if we actually want to make a difference in our communities figuring out how to take action on the local level like Lexi did they're actually focusing on this on on her Berkeley City Council to get funding for a youth homeless shelter that's how we're actually gonna make change and so focusing on how young people can take action and how they can focus on the local and how democracy is actually relevant to their own lives is how we're trying to make civics come alive
1: Mm. and Lexi you being an alum of Generation Citizen um, when did you kind of realize that you had this power and this ability to change things in your community? Did you have any kind of civic responsibilities or civic activeness before Generation Citizen?
3: Yeah, so before Generation Citizen, I was just in the leadership elective at my school, which we would help, you know, host events and make posters and things like that, read the morning announcements. So it wasn't too much of actually um, learning about politics and being civically engaged. It was more just our school community. But then I would say like my changing point would definitely be speaking at the city council because that in that moment, I realized that those adults were listening to us and, you know, cared about what we had to say. And so with that, and then seeing the resolution actually get passed, that was kind of like my moment, like, oh, wow, like, I am a youth, but I do have something to say. And people will listen if I'm loud enough and persistent and things like that. So I would definitely say that's my turning point. And since then, I've been really involved with working on youth homelessness in Berkeley and at my school. So, yeah.
1: That's, that, that's really important what you say just about as a youth having people just having the adults around you feel have feeling in yourself that the adults around you are willing to listen to you and that your voice is important and that people are listening to you and you're being heard. Nora, when you were just starting to become part of this mayoral office and becoming an appointee, what gave you the kind of opportunity personally to feel like you were being heard or to feel like this was an important thing you must take on?
0: Um, I think really, well, I think people who did a great job of making sure I felt like I was being heard were the staff that work with the Youth Commission, because they always, it's not like, it's completely youth-led, like, it's what things are important to us, and how we can get those things to, like, become important to the Board of Supervisors, and I think the moment kind of like similar to Lexi, I think like the moment that I really felt like I was kind of being heard is when I presented at the police commission for the city of San Francisco, because that was like, that was terrifying for me. I was so scared to do that. And um, I gave like a 15 minute presentation and I practiced with the staff and I like afterwards people asked me questions about things that I knew. And I felt like, wow, these people actually like are listening to the things I'm saying about how this city can become better. And they like, they care about that. And it's not just like Oh, like, great, like, good for you, or whatever. It's like they care about the things I'm saying because the things I'm saying are important. And they're the same things that adults are saying, also, just with a youth perspective. So I think that was kind of like, it's really, like, I don't know, motivational, I guess, or like important to have adults listen to things that youth say when they're saying it in really professional settings and not like coddling them at all or like anything like that, so.
1: And you say that you have a lot of the same perspectives as adults and a lot of the same Mm -hmm. goals as adults, but also do you feel that you and your fellow youth commission bring a specific different perspective? What do you bring to the table as a youth that older people may overlook or Mm -hmm. don't bring to the table?
0: Yeah, I think like the youth perspective on like all issues is really important because like youth are part of the community and like Youth make up a huge percent of San Francisco or any other city or town, and it's kind of ridiculous to see that like the youth don't really have a voice in city government as they make up such a huge percent of the population. And I think that like the youth lens and like how because like when when things happen to me and my friends, like maybe I focus on um, working to find in, well like working with organizations to find alternatives to incarceration. So especially for like juvenile. Incarceration. So, like, while adults might be able to say, like, "Oh, yeah, we should, like, find alternatives for, to juvenile incarceration," you can speaking to like young people who have been incarcerated. That's a completely different perspective than just saying, "Oh, yeah, we should do this." Speaking and like talking to people who have, ha- have experienced problems with the issues we're talking about firsthand, especially when they're young people and they don't. It's not like not, young people don't have any ever like ulterior motives or anything like that there's no like I don't have a goal by being on the youth commission I don't want to be a politician but like I (laughs) think I think that like just speaking to people that it's like these things matter to us not because like I have an end goal but because these things are affecting people's lives and especially even people who these issues affect their lives even more personally than it does mine that's what like is really special about the youth perspective because you're able to like get like a first hand like a first person source um for all of your issues so
1: that's hilarious what you say about, you know, you, you don't want to be a politician and you don't have like this crazy agenda. But I mean, Rigel, you being uh, <laughs> a very young politician yourself. I mean, <laughs> When you were Nora's age, did you think you were going to be a politician? Like, was your goal, like, 16-year-old self said, I am going to be, my agenda is, I'm going to be the youngest, you know, council member. Like, at what point did you kind of realize or decide you wanted to even get into politics? That was a very smooth transition.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, around then, 16, 17, I, you know, I, I, my parents were thrilled at the time you know I was thinking about going into medicine I, you know I spent a summer um, doing some some gastric cancer research work putting clear liquids into other clear liquids and then waiting and watching nothing happen and it just it just wasn't for me
1: but I <laughs> it sounds exciting
2: <laughs> you know, I, I didn't I didn't come to, to Berkeley with with any of that in mind um, you know, a lot of my, my extended families in, in California I have an aunt that lives about a, a mile north from campus. I like to say that the Koreans are all in SoCal and the white people are all in NorCal as far as my <laughs> extended family goes. Um, but, you know, that that was never really, really what I had in mind. Um, to answer the question, you know, I when I decided to run for city council, I, I decided to run for city council so that my friends would stop telling me to. Uh, <laughs> I'm mostly kidding. Uh, but there's there's a context and a backstory there that goes back Decades. Um, Berkeley is a really incredible city and also a city that at its foundation was fundamentally built around the campus. And today it's a city where a third of the population of the city at any given time is students at UC Berkeley. But despite that, that significant portion of the population has often gone entirely unrepresented in City Hall, where so many decisions are made that affect them in their everyday lives, especially as the campus continues to increase its enrollment, but the campus's housing development can't keep pace with that. More and more students are really living in the city realm off campus, and decisions that are made at City Hall affect them every day some years ago students launched a campaign to redraw the district lines of the district that uc berkeley's campus is in to create the first student supermajority district in the entire country with the vision that one day they would elect one of their own to be their voice in city hall and during my four years at uc berkeley i was involved in uh, a lot of housing advocacy the tuition protests that would pop up every single year this that the other thing um And as I was, you know, as I was approaching my my graduation, um, you know, people started to ask me what I was doing after May. And the honest answer was that I didn't have any idea. Um, But as more people started to ask me, and brought up this this seat um, with a council member who I had worked with very closely, but who also was a 22-year incumbent who some people thought had maybe... You know served to the extent that uh you know that he could really give back to a district that was rapidly rapidly changing a district that maybe would benefit from a new perspective um and it took a few months but eventually we decided that maybe they might be right and we went for it and it worked out okay <laughs> um it's actually a tuesday night um we got some exciting news out of a. Uh, In Madison, Wisconsin, um, the district where the University of Wisconsin-Madison is, they just elected to the district where that campus is a a freshman on their campus to represent them in City Hall in Madison, which is a huge deal. But all over the country, there, there are districts that look just like this one, where there are countless students who, while they may only live in that city temporarily, the student population is a permanent and often growing entity that has distinct needs. And needs that need to be met and responded to
1: Mm, that's that's really powerful and especially just the power of the student vote and the student body as you have this one particular area where you have all these youth who are collectively studying and trying to better themselves who are just Honestly, you would think kind of the role, the ideal citizen, someone who's just trying to learn, who's young, who's pushing forward, looking at the future. And recently, actually, why our media did a story on a campus that had been gerrymandered and cut straight down the middle to diminish the youth vote and like take some of that power away. And I'm curious just for you being a student, I mean, just being a college student alone is Enough on your mind enough pressure. I mean, Lord knows I barely have time to get to work every day I mean at what point like how are you balancing, you know graduating finishing up your classes getting these finals and starting to head in this direction of I really want to Take this council member position of someone who had been in the position for as long as you had been alive I mean, that's so (laughs) Intimidating it's, it's a lot to balance, um, an impossible
2: balance, really, but which is exactly why it was so important that, that someone do it. And it's, it's interesting that you, you characterize the student population like that, and I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way. I mean, it's a very educated population by virtue of what they're doing there. Um, and you know, and a lot of people who really are paying close attention to what happens in their city and the decisions that affect them. Um, we had a, a really major city council vote just a, a few weeks ago for a really controversial, um, massive apartment building to build in the downtown that would have a little bit obstructed a bit of the view of the Golden Gate Bridge from the center of campus. And we saw this this fascinating dichotomy where a number of the longer-term residents of the city came out to oppose the project because it would obstruct this piece of the view and because that view was such an important part of the, the culture of the city, which is absolutely true. But then... That group was outnumbered by the students at UC Berkeley who came out and said, that is the view that we enjoy every single day on this campus. And we would so much rather our city build the housing that it so desperately needs in order to address this housing crisis and to make sure that the people that are going to be in these seats years and years and years after us have somewhere to live. And these these people are paying attention and they care about what's happening in these cities while they live in them. And it's important that there be people that... We'll hear them out. We'll respond to them, make sure their concerns are being conveyed at every level of government.
1: Mm, that's, That's so interesting that, you know, these people, these young people seem to have less of an attachment, more of a willing to kind of ebb and flow and work with people on the issues on not just what's best for them, but what's best for people around them. I'm curious for you, Scott, working at Generation Citizen, where do you find, is this true that like young people are more willing to give and take in politics as opposed to these deadlocks we currently have federally where it's just nothing's happening. I must be right. Where are you you seeing that you know students and young people are willing to work together as opposed to older people well,
4: I think that, that, that one of the realities that we see in our, our classes all the time, and, and perhaps Lexi can speak to this too, is that young people too often are not being invited to the table and they're not being asked what they think. Um, and so you all have talked about the issues that you care about. You all have talked about uh, the issues that, that, that you're passionate about. But too often there's this, this uh, I think, uh, adults tend to tokenize the voices of young people. And so we often say, oh, young people are the future without actually listening to what they actually think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what we do at Generation Citizen is literally when we go into the classrooms, ask, you know, what would you change if you're in charge of your school, your city, your state? And for a lot of young people, the first thing that we do that, that happens often when we go into the classroom is they're just very skeptical uh, that will actually be able to do anything, right? And it makes sense. The skepticism makes sense because of what you said, uh, because of what happens on the national landscape, because the story that we often tell of politics in our newspapers, in our conversations, is one of complete inaction and dysfunction. That's the story we like to tell ourselves, uh, and that's the story that, that, that often makes its way through. Um, But I do think that that the story that you told is so powerful because those are the stories that often happen in communities, and those are the stories that young people care more about. They do care more about taking action when they're actually invited to the table. Um, And I don't think they're as interested in the the drama that that we often follow on an everyday basis. They're interested in getting stuff done, Um, and they're interested in getting stuff done in in, in their communities. Uh, But but I will say, too, I actually don't think that this is just about this generation of young people. I mean, what what I write about, what I found is that all throughout history, uh, young people are always at the, the forefront of change. Um, because I, I think young people have this ability to break down barriers, to cut through the BS, uh, and to say this is actually what we want to get done. Um, and I think when we get older, and, and on this stage, I feel much older than what I usually do. <laughs> um, but, but um, and, and I feel less idealistic than, than I used to. I, I used to be uh, a young activist and, and now I spend a lot of my days uh, raising dollars, um, which can make you a little bit more uh, more skeptical and, and, and cynical about things. Um, just being honest with everybody tonight. But, 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 but what does give me energy is engaging with young people. What does give me energy is when young people are on, on, on you know, surround and, and say, this is what we want to change we don't care what people are saying. We don't care what the cynics say, um, but we're actually going to, going to make things happen. And so um, I think, yes, to your question, um, young people do care less about uh, the, 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 the sort of proverbial dysfunction of politics. And if we actually want to move forward in our democracy uh, it's not, I mean, I consider myself, I'm a millennial, so I don't know if that's young anymore, um, but, but it is, it is, you know, the four of you that are going to push things forward rather than generations uh, uh, that that, that have preceded you.
1: Mm. And you talk about kind of, I mean, just being being cynical and not really expecting real change. Like this is this kind of crazy ideal. You're lying to me. Like how am I just a young person actually supposed to change anything, which is something personally I've seen a lot in myself as well as other students. But I'm curious, Lexi, you being, you know, a student of generation citizen, is that the truth for you? Do you find that people in your age group are, not really willing to learn about these things? And if so, I mean, what can older people do to make young people feel like there's actually a chance that they can affect change?
3: Yeah, so actually in my Generation Citizen class, my class was very divided and I was also skeptical about the things we could actually accomplish. Um, We had a brainstorm of ideas of what we wanted to work on between dress code at my middle school because we felt it was sexist towards girls and between homelessness in Berkeley. And obviously one is like a smaller issue in a smaller community than the other. So I was really scared to work on youth homelessness because I was um, homeless as a youth for all of middle school, pretty much I was homeless. And so not only was it a personal issue for me. I just thought it was way too big. Like, do you know how many people are in Berkeley and stuff? Like, it was just insane to me. So I was originally advocating to work on dress code at my school. However, when my class finally decided, like three classes later, because we were very divided, um, we decided to work on youth homelessness. Um, And that didn't stop me to work as hard as I could on this project, because I really wanted to learn more about it. And I think, A lot of my classmates were really involved because we were actually doing things. It wasn't just textbook, okay, this is how you get something passed. Like we were actually going and speaking to homeless people in Berkeley and hearing people's experiences and talking to city council, which I would never imagine myself like a thirteen year old girl doing. So it was a really big experience and also in terms of how adults respond to youth in politics. Um, I think they need to realize like Scott was saying we are the movement every generation they have youth at the front line of the movement and also I think the youth perspective that we bring is we're not worried about money we're worried about actually making change we know the government can keep on printing money as much as they want and we actually just want to make the change and we want to come up with plans like we don't think about a dime a penny a nickel anything we just want to make this change and come up with a plan to help resolve issues like youth homelessness we want to help make you know the community better
1: so Ooh, preach girl <laughs> i'm gonna give a hand for that just <laughs> i'm i'm inspired by your passion and just the uh, you know pardon my french but no bs <laughs> that you're willing to take and the approach you know and Man, wow, that that was powerful. Um, I'm curious, just maybe a question to all of you, and if any of you feel like you want to hop in on this one. I mean, you've just been talking about how you know youth have this kind of passion that is different from adults and maybe a different level of cynicism. Maybe they're not jaded. They haven't seen years of elections go by that they didn't get what they want. I mean, maybe it's that, but is there something you feel that as youth makes you more powerful or more willing To go about and take this. I mean, it's scary to make change and it's scary to say, I'm going to be a person who has effect on this system that's been around for generations and generations. Do you feel that there's anything about you or your people, other fellow youth that makes you more capable or more willing to go about and enact this change? If any of you'd like to start, jump in. If not, I'll point to...
3: Um, I'll start. I I would say something that makes me um, very passionate about it is I'm very stubborn I want to get what I want and so if I want something changed I'll work really hard on it because I'm very determined and I feel like a lot of my peers especially at Berkeley High School are also like that you know we have mass walkouts all the time but it's um, yeah we're known for that Um, but you know it's because we want to show adults where we stand even though we can't vote yet Um, next year though happy vote in 2020 Um, we can you know show where we stand And I definitely think that we just see the mistakes that the adults make and they don't really want to recognize that themselves because they don't want to seem wrong. You know, it's like, you know, you don't question your mother when she tells you to do something. (laughs) So you don't question the adults when they're like, okay, we have this handled. But like I said before, I think we really don't wrap our minds around the money of it all or like, you know, really worry about. Stuff that just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you know, we want to make sure people have homes. People aren't being torn away from their families at the border. Climate change is being combated and things like that. So, yeah.
0: You're listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org.
1: <laughs> wow. Um, you talk about You talk about, like, you're just getting to the age now where you're finally able to vote. 2020 is going to be your first election. Um, I was curious, maybe, Rigel, you would have something to say on this about what can we expect? Like, what's going to change in the 2020 vote? Are we going to see more youth? How do we change change the perspective, get rid of this cynicism, and make people understand that their vote is valuable we will we will
2: we absolutely will and it's gonna be really exciting i think you know 2018 showed us a, a little taste of that but you know as more and more young people gain their vote um turn 18 I, you know this is an entire generation that has stepped into a world where they can see tangibly how public policy has broken america um they're walking into a a messed up economy uh, a climate change situation that was entirely preventable. And every piece of that at every level, from local governments to the federal government, they can pin that to decisions that people older than them have made for the last several decades. And that is going to clap right back and they're going to turn out to the polls and it's going to be really incredible, especially if people start speaking to the issues and hitting the third rails that young people want to talk about. And I think this gets a bit to the, the previous question you were asking. I mean, these third rails, these off limits conversations don't exist for young people. I think the biggest thing that makes youthful voices so powerful is that the idea of this is the way we've always done it doesn't apply. It's totally meaningless because they step into the status quo and if they see something that clearly isn't working, the response to that is we should fix it, not I remember how we got into that situation 30 years ago and that's kind of the way it's always been. We don't really talk about it. like That is entirely irrelevant. And we, we see that everywhere. Even at, the, at the state level, something like... Uh, you yeah, Proposition 13, that, you know, it's, it's called this, this third rail, but that has so clearly had a, a uh, damaging effect on our public schools all over the state. And as young people, turn 18, and will be able to vote in 2020 when Prop 13 reform is on the ballot, they don't see a ballot measure that they remember their neighbors voting for some years ago. They see a ballot measure that is an opportunity to fix the schools that they just graduated from that they know could have been so much better. And at the local level, young people see properties, spaces that may have looked one way for for decades, but that they look at and immediately see there's a better use for that right now and that solution is is visible to them in ways that it wouldn't be almost. It's almost as if having too much context can hold you back from thinking creatively and mm. mm-hmm. young people are the, the way around that. Just to just to
4: piggyback on that for a second. And I think interestingly, in talking about the youth vote to post to, to, to pour a dosage of reality and then try to get inspirational. So in the, <laughs> <laughs> in, the in the 2018 elections, we often hear about the surge of youth vote. Um, so 31% of 18- to 30-year-olds voted in 2018, which is much higher than it was in 2014 in the last midterms where it was about 18%. But that still means that that almost 70% of 18- to 30-year-olds didn't vote in the midterms. And I think that's just important to say from the aspect of um, that's that's not, and, and we still had the majority of Americans that didn't vote in the 2018 midterms too, and even in the 2016 presidential election, you had about 65 million people vote for 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 Clinton, about 63 million vote for Trump, and about 90 million eligible Americans that didn't vote. So do not vote one by a lot, and and I think that's just something that we have to come back to because I think often in these settings, um, it can be a, a little easier to to. I mean, we all. Care, I mean, I assume you're here. Care about politics. You're amongst young people that are that are really active, which is great. But there's still so much work we have to do. And I'd say just just two things. One, I mean, a, a plug for GC and civics. I think there's there's still too much of, uh, I mean, politicians. Uh, catering to young people just when elections come up, rather than thinking about how do we transform the fundamentals and foundations of democracy starting from the beginning, are the, the problems with our democracy will not be solved in an election or two elections or three elections. Um, they're much deeper than that, and so I think that that's something that we just have to, to recognize now in the sense of I mean it, it's it's everything from civics education. I mean it's you know you don't wake up at 16 and have your driver's license right. You have to actually get your permit. You have to practice. You have to take a test. But we Young people in this country, like they're 18, and all of a sudden they know how to participate. So that's why someone like Lexi's going to vote. Period. Like full stop. Right? Because she's been engaged in this work so long. So we, we, you know, we have to to, to think about like that. The, the other thing I would say, just just being here, I don't live in the Bay Area, that I think is really important is just to recognize the extent to which politics and government matters. Regardless I think there's a tendency especially in the Bay Area for people to get so frustrated with politics and government that they try to circumvent the system um, and so you see you know you see it with uh, some of and I'm not trying to, to hate on them but some of the tech companies like you know an Uber or Lyft or, or, or some of the other companies out here which are so frustrated with the public system that they're like screw it we're going to try other means but the reality is is that all the issues that we're talking about here whether it's housing whether it's homelessness whether it's immigration the only way that those issues get solved is government and politics. And so I think that's something that young people realize, but we need to ensure that they realize that from, from, from the onset uh, and, 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 and recognizing that the only way to solve the most intractable issues, as frustrating as politics is, as depressing as it is, the, the, the more broken our politics get, the more important it is to get political. Um, and the more that young people realize that, the more that we can actually propel our democracy forward.
1: Mm, Hmm. That's really, really interesting. And, you know, you speak on just how young people, like you say, you need to learn to drive a car before we're going to let you on the road, right? Because it's scary to let someone who has no idea what they're doing operate a moving death vehicle, right? So, I mean, similarly with with our democracy, I mean, you would think that we'd be afraid of letting these young people vote. And for me personally, my first election was 2016. Um, I had just turned 18 and I was totally terrified to vote. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, what if I clicked the wrong, if I checked the wrong thing? And what if I accidentally ruined the world with my vote? And I spent so much time investigating and checking this stuff out because even though I... Can't say I'm as awesome as Lexi or Nora and have just been civically active since I was like 16. I had been lucky enough to have people instill in me the importance of my vote and why it mattered. And you say, like you said, even though we were up around 10% from 2014 with the midterms this year, that's still 70% of young people did not vote. And I mean, you growing up abroad, being, seeing all these other areas, do you feel that in America, there's like a... Taking democracy for granted, not appreciating the fact that people can change these things. Were in other countries with democracies, did you see that people were really understanding the gift they had been given or the power that they have?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think think one thing, and I read about this as well, is there's a tendency for our American democracy to be seen as exceptional. And I really don't think it is. Um, just in the sense, I mean, if you look at the, the 25 OECD countries, so the most developed countries, we're, we rank 23 of 25 in terms of voter participation. Um, we, I mean, you're seeing this in, in terms of crackdown on, on on the free press. There's just a lot of things that, that we can actually learn from other countries. And I think the fundamental thing that we can learn from other countries is not to take democracy for granted. Um, and I think we're seeing that a little bit more now, but this isn't this isn't because of one election. This isn't because of what happened in, in 2016. The only way you can keep a democracy is if you're kind constantly trying to improve it. it is a concept it is an ideal it is not a static concept um, I mean even the words upon which this country was founded that all men are created equal is fundamentally unequal um, because it only referred to, to to white landowners and so we have to constantly try to improve it um, and I think that notion of all of us dedicating ourselves to constantly improving it rather than just voting or rather than then than being attention uh, paying attention in small ways is what's going to take uh, us to get to the next level but I, I am curious what, what what you all see as young people if there is this different moment in terms of do we do we recognize the peril of taking democracy for granted in ways that we perhaps didn't before as well?
1: Nor would you um, like to comment? <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that's a giant question, but I think that um I think that I don't know, I think there is some of that like taking democracy for granted, as you're saying, like it the right to vote obviously hasn't been a part of what America was for a lot of people. Like I wouldn't have been able to vote to like, I don't even know when I, it's relatively recent that people like me have been able to vote. And I think that that kind of taking democracy for granted is true, but I don't necessarily think that, I think that has to do more about like very, very political stuff versus taking the idea that you can change things for granted. Because I, I don't think that like young people really do take that for granted. I think that um even if people aren't voting something matters to everyone and i think that people are talking about the things that matter to them all the time and if people don't necessarily feel represented in the politics they see like on tv or something like that that also has to do with who are the politicians and who are the people representing us and if people don't feel represented like why would they feel like they need to be engaged and like as you said a lot of the time politicians only cater to young people because they want like the young vote whereas like as I said, young people make up such a huge population that the young vote is like a huge percent of this country that things matter to them and things should be improved for them. And so I think that, um, I don't know, that's kind of a ramble, but I think that it's really important to like see that like even beyond politics, when th- things matter to people, they'll talk about them. And even if they're not showing that through their voting, they are showing that through the things they say and the things they fight
3: for.
1: Mm -hmm. And you talk about just, you know, people caring about things, but not necessarily feeling that they can move forward. I mean, do any of you feel that, or have you had conversations with people your age where they just haven't been interested? I mean, obviously, not everyone who's a college student or a high school student is out here changing the world. How do you talk to your peers how do you convince your peers that they have this power and that they could be like you changing things step by step even if it's not going to be tomorrow Rigel, would
2: you like to uh yeah i think one of the, the biggest issues here is you know people don't think of the things that matter to them in the context of what government has to do with them but if you if you break government and decisions that are made in government down to sort of subject areas. Everyone is affected by by every little piece of it, whether it's wages, whether it's it's housing development. And, you know, in in Berkeley, especially, you know, I'd be talking to to young people, uh, trying to encourage them to to cast their first ballots. And countless times someone would tell me that, you know, they weren't interested and that they didn't plan on casting a ballot this election. And, you know, sometimes if they didn't walk away too quickly, we could kind of get into it a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that decisions like whether or not uh, a new you know, housing complex that could house students is going to happen a few blocks away from them or what the minimum wage in the city is going to be has to do with a body that they can actually help choose who's on it. And you know, we need to, to speak in those terms to talk about the issues and help make government entities you know accessible to people. And it's it's interesting on the you know, the, the international note. We were just talking about the, the context of democracy in other countries. I am. Um, I, I spent a couple of weeks in, in South Korea last year um, for the first time in like a decade and a half, uh, seeing extended family, which was lovely. But it was also entirely coincidental that I was there during the middle of one of their municipal elections, and it was absolutely nuts. And I, I don't know if it's just that you know democracy is a slightly more recent construct there, but you know in the United States, uh, you know that first Tuesday after the first Monday of November. Can come and go, and unless your door was knocked, and unless you're watching TV, you may literally have no idea that an election happened. That was not true in Jeonju in South Korea, where all these people running for city council were present in the streets constantly, and you would see teams of people all wearing the same color-coordinated T-shirts canvassing nonstop. The city was covered in banners, and every single candidate had a theme song. And I don't,
3: <laughs>
2: I don't mean in like a like I associate fight song with Hillary Clinton kind of way. I mean, like a really bad, tacky theme song with their name woven into it that was (laughs) like maybe 20 seconds long and just on repeat that these vans that moved around would play uh, just on repeat all day long. It was terrible, really. (laughs) Uh, But this is just, I mean, there was just a totally different culture around the fact that there was an election coming up. It was omnipresent. It was everywhere. And on Elections Day, they did this, Ridiculous thing where all you would see on TV was these kind of moving animations of the different candidates with different themes every hour there was like a Harry Potter bit where every one of the different candidates was dressed up as one of the Hogwarts houses, and then you would see the numbers next to them as the votes came in and it was ridiculous, but it was it was almost gamified and the result of that is that everyone was paying attention to the election and in almost every single election in South Korea they see turnout of eighty. Eighty-five mm-hmm. percent. Wow, the ridiculousness is the cost of that, maybe, but <laughs> turnout accomplishes results, and we just do not see that happen here. Well, one thing I think to to sort of build on that a little bit. So I've I've spent
4: uh, and write about this, but a good amount of time in Zimbabwe, and have a a really good friend who's who's from there as well. And it's it's a little bit it, not necessarily to the point of, of of ridiculousness, but but for folks in Zimbabwe. Politics and democracy literally becomes a matter of life and death. Um, And so they've had, you know, they they had a dictatorship there and and one of the worst despots in the the world in Robert Mugabe for 30 plus years. um, He was overtaken through coup and they had a recent election. And I've been there during elections and people, I mean, people are in the streets. Everybody participates. But it is this notion of if we're able to change the country, then our lives will be better. Um, and, and, I think sometimes it is this notion of, and, and, there's a cultural ideal of political participation that I've seen in a lot of different countries. I think what's happening and this, 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 gets to your point too, Nora, I think, but, but in, in this country right now, I think, especially right now, you are seeing a lot of populations that feel like their very existence is at risk, that their ability to be seen as Americans is at risk. Um, and that's when I think democracy and politics becomes, uh, not even more powerful, but more necessary, right? And I think I, I saw that so much in Zimbabwe where it was like, this isn't about whether, you know, we vote or not or whether turn out or not. It's about our ability to actually exist in this country as citizens and whether our voices matter. Um, and I, I think one of the things I think about with our young people too is that, is that sometimes you have these two poles. One is that you tell young people like, oh, the system's great. All you have to do is participate in it and, and it'll work. Um, and you were just calling that out as, as BS. (laughs) And on the other side of the spectrum, you have, well, the system's too irrevocably broken to actually do anything. So the, the former is false and the latter is pretty disempowering if you're like, oh, it's too broken to actually do anything. And so the challenge that I think we have, that I think young people are able to see through is to recognize that our democracy and politics as is does not work the way that it should in terms of people seeing themselves represented. But the only way to solve that is to get engaged. It will not solve itself on its own. So holding those two truths at the same time in terms of the system not working the way it should and people's livelihoods being on the line and people not being seen as Americans with the fact that we have to participate and change takes a lot of time is something I see young people able to hold both of those truths better than anyone else. Adults, I think, will be and I'm, I don't even know if I'm young anymore. I'm, I'm 32 now, so I don't know <laughs> what that counts. But, but it's, a, it's a little easier to be like, oh, it's too broken to do anything. We're just going to focus on our and, – and there's a lot of important stuff to focus on. But I think young people, like you were saying, do sort of recognize, like, no, we got to push forward, and we're going to you know cut through everything and, and, and make change happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to take a quick break, let you know that we will be taking questions shortly. So please line up at our microphones in the back if you're interested. It is not every day that you get to ask some of our brightest youth to answer your questions. So please get up. We'll ask a couple other questions and I will get to your questions shortly. Um, You're talking kind of, Rigel, about this like making voting fun it, so to speak, in in South Korea. And I think that's really interesting. I was just thinking while you were talking about that, like, what can we do to make voting fun? Like, what's the secret ticket to get everybody voting? And I was like thinking, well, everyone's always on their phone. Maybe if you made some fun app or a game. But I mean, really, it got me thinking that there is definitely a power in technology that we have today, and especially youth having grown up with like smartphones and the internet, their entire lives are maybe more prone to use, more able to use. And I'm kind of curious um, what you guys think about just the the power of technology in politics. For example, um, this last year I worked on a project with Wired Media called Map the Movement, where we looked at After the Parkland shootings, we took to Twitter, we collected a ton of data using the hashtag never again, and saw just what young people were talking about across the country and made a map populated it with tweets and it was for me really kind of shocking in that I had always considered social media this place where just people took selfies oh my god I'm so much cuter than you are or you know just like talking smack or just leaving kind of these opinions where I realized that no this is actually a quite strong organizational tool for these rallies, et cetera. I'm curious, do any of you have experience using social media or other technology to push forward politics or to organize in your young
0: experience? Mm -hmm well i can speak on this a little bit as we have our sf youth com instagram up there <laughs> but um one way the youth commission works really hard to get like the youth of san francisco involved with the work the youth commission is doing but not only the work the youth commission is doing also using our platform to push forward other organizations work is um just by like posting about it and i think it's really funny that like i like like when you say like the youth are speaking a lot of the time, the way they're doing it is through their phones or like on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And it's the same way that I don't know how in like before social media, people did this, but the same way that people speak (laughs) about matters that like, or speak about issues that matter to them, the youth are, or young people are doing that through social media. So like, if you like like you said like if you look at any like hashtag after something big happens or like the black lives matter movement or something like that and you look at all the people speaking about that on social media versus the people speaking about it like in the newspaper or something like that you you would see so much more youth presence on social media because that's how the youth communicate and with each other and with the world and so i think it's a really really like social media and just like the internet in general is a really really good way to push forward people's opinions on matters, but also, like, lift up community organizations and projects that each organization is doing and, like, make the public more aware of them, so...
3: Um, Yeah, so my experience in taking advantage of technology during campaigns is when I ran for ASB president last month. Uh, My vice president, Deja Connerly, and I really took advantage of social media by making uh, short informational videos about our Simple Supply Center, which we want to create at Berkeley High, along with representing students of color and school safety. And so just between those videos, we would be able to have our friends share it, and we would get thousands of views on them. And it was a really good way to get our message out in a short, efficient way because nobody wants to read, you know, a three-page article, and so, you know, if you can just have, you know, your little elevator pitch and go, they're like, oh, okay, and then as they get to uh, more curious about it, you can, you know, start releasing more information or longer videos, like, hey, if you want to know more about this, here's my two-minute video versus 60-second six, video <laughs> and things like that, so, and we definitely came up with, like, along with social media, memes are a good way <laughs> of also spreading messages because, you know, it's something that sticks in your head is catchy and um, along with slogans, too, on social media, like hashtags you were talking about. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah.
1: awesome.
2: Oh. Lexi makes a really important point that young people get a lot of flack for, but that I think is very defendable. I mean, people talk all the time about how, how little young people are, are reading newspapers or or whatever it is, but hey, people are reading all the time. Young people mm-hmm. are constantly on their phones. And you know, especially if it's you know, Twitter or something, in a lot of ways, that's that's where the news is out now. And also makes that news accessible in so many different ways. I mean, like you were, you were bringing up the, the aftermath of Parkland. I mean, so much of that conversation developed nationally because of social media. And people who were having one reaction on one side of the country could talk to people having a reaction on the other side of the country. You know, our, our mayor in Berkeley uh, will respond to people asking very specific questions to him on Twitter because that, that platform is available. It's... People are reading and, and digesting information in a, a different way, but it's it's almost made the entire country smaller and created really interesting room for a, for, for information to, to spread differently. But also, I mean, it's it's changed how people organize all together. Have you ever heard of the app uh, Yik Yak? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it existed for like two minutes <laughs> and then it died. But I, I remember one of the um, protests I helped organize my, my freshman year around. Um, uh, tuition hikes that were being proposed. We we turned out about you know a thousand people onto the main kind of plaza at the center of campus, and we we did the old school tactics. You know we we chalked everywhere, we did class wraps, et cetera. But you know we we knew when we were there, the vast majority of people that showed up showed up because they'd heard about it online from strangers on the internet, mostly from Yik Yak, which I think would go bankrupt like a week later, <laughs>
0: something like that. Also, i just like to add on that, like, Lexi said something really, really important, is that, like, you can make a video on social media and get a thousand views on that video, on just, like, one, like, 30-second video, right, just, like, about your campaign for your high school, and that's, like, incredible, the distance that you can spread social media, because, like, how many people actually read the newspaper all the way through, like, all the way through, every single word of every single article? Probably very few, but if you have each article summed up into one tweet, and you had a tweet for each article, you could read that in like ten minutes, probably. And that's what like is so important about social media is how easily you're able to spread information, and the effectiveness of which you're able to spread information is just incredible, and it makes it so much more efficient to spread ideas like on any kind of platform.
1: Yeah, I mean, social media is such a powerful tool. I mean, from Anything of dancing cats on pianos to collecting getting together people And you know to me thinking that I'm the funniest comedian on my story I think that social media is definitely pretty powerful. I'm pretty funny by the way Um, So now I'd like to turn and take some questions from our audience Um, please be somewhat brief we have a lot of people to get to and I'd love to hear all the questions you have Um, whoever is going to start first
0: we're not going to make any promises about getting to all of them so that folks can maybe go home but we're going to get to as many as possible if folks keep them brief thanks this is your first question
3: thanks for being here tonight I really appreciate it What are each of your thoughts about the ongoing conversation about lowering the voting age to 16?
4: Uh, So we can... I mean, GC has has uh, as an initiative taken on the the, the topic of lowering the voting age to 16. So it's it's one of these things that I think the 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 first reaction to people have it is oh that's such a ridiculous idea. Young people are 16 year olds can't actually be be taken seriously. You'll just have to listen to this panel to see that they <laughs> can be. Um, but I think for us, a few things. One, 18 is not the greatest age in the world to start voting at. Um, kids are either in college or in, they're in the workforce. They might be away from home. They're not necessarily thinking of of voting as, uh, as as a primary concept um, and if you can get 16 year olds, while they're still in school, you're gonna incentivize schools to teach civics education. You're gonna give young people a real reason to participate and you're going to uh, create lifelong voters in a way that 18 year olds might not might not do. Uh, and this isn't just me stipulating or postulating, there's countries across the world that do this. Um, Finland, Argentina, Ecuador, countries that, the, the recent Scottish referendums, countries that lower their voting age to 16, see higher voting rates across their entire population. Um, San Francisco had this as a, as a referendum in, in 2016, we did polling about six months out, uh, and about 65% of people were against it. About 30% were in favor of it. We lost by three points. Um, uh, we'll put it on the ballot again in, in 2020. The, you, you can talk about what the Youth Commission's doing. I'd be shocked if it doesn't pass. But but it's not just, in San Francisco helps spawn, there's three towns in Maryland, Hyattsville, Tacoma Park, and Greenbelt that do this. Um, as, as an amendment to H.R. 1, the, the big democratic uh, reform that was just pushed in, and passed in the House, uh, over half of the Democratic caucus voted in favor of lowering the voting age to 16. This is not a ridiculous idea. Um, this is something that, that I think is is, is coming of, of age, uh, and I, I think it's young people leading the way. So I don't know if you want to speak to what you guys are, are sure. doing now, too.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I think Vote 16 is something that the Youth Commission is working, like, really hard to get on the 2020 ballot and pass, hopefully. Um, but I don't know. I think the most important thing about voting to me is just that voting is not that hard, and there's no reason that 16-year-olds shouldn't be able to vote. And, like, like. I would like to think that I'm, like, a very special 16-year-old engaged in politics, but, like, this is not, like, a rarity. A lot of my friends and, like, a lot of people in my school are just care about things that happen in the world around them. And it it's kind of ridiculous to me that, like, I can be on an appointed body by the mayor before I can vote. That's just ridiculous. Like, I'm already having an effect. Young people are already having an effect. So why shouldn't they be able, able to have, like, an official effect with voting? I think that's just kind of ridiculous. So. Mm.
1: Thank you, Nora. Um, if we could get the next question, please.
2: All right. So a common theme was um, political activity at the local level. What is your advice to young leaders or in the community or whether on your campus, like Rigel apparently was? Um, what is your <laughs> advice for potential leaders, future young leaders? Just start showing up. Just start showing up. Anyone can attend a public meeting of any publicly elected body. Um, and it's, it's funny how often we, we start noticing that the people who show up regularly when you're sitting in that chair for six hours, every Tuesday night, um, and you, know, you can make a name for yourself and become a, you know, I go to personal, whatever your issue is just by virtue of reaching out. Um, and it's, you know, it's incredible how many people, you know, I, I know the names of and, you know, would look to for guidance on one issue or another who, Yeah, it's they're not there because of one organization they're with. They're not there because of a a title they have. They're just there because they care. Um, And, you know, in local government, especially, it is very true that, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And sometimes that's a bad thing. But if you're a young person trying to get involved in local politics,
1: be the squeakiest wheel you can be. That may be the strangest, most inspiring <laughs> quote I've heard in quite some time. I will aspire to be the squeakiest wheel I can be. Um, can we have the next question?
2: Um, so uh, do you think that making a difference in the community will um, uh, help like, the young people to vote? Is it, is it possible?
1: Um, Lexi, maybe you you could speak on this.
3: Yeah, so I definitely think that you know my spark was working or um working on homelessness and speaking at the city council meeting and I feel like once you start doing more community service and start getting educated about their community and issues that you know they can speak on like you know you can talk to your neighbors about these things if you have something to say so I definitely think by starting at the local level is a very good way to build yourself up into you know voting and things like that especially as a youth because you know we can't vote until we're 18 but we can drive when we're 16 which is ridiculous but um, so So I think that starting at a local level to get familiar with the people you are around, like you know, your neighbors and you know, if you go yeah, so I just think that it's really important to start at a young age and just get involved um, in your own home community because you know that place best there's no one else you know if you grew up in Berkeley California nobody in SoCal is going to know Berkeley as well as you do and so by starting there I think you have a lot of opinion you obviously have experience living there and you see what affects the community so starting change there is a really good way to start your political career in, um in action civics.
0: And we have time for just two more questions. I'm going to tell everybody else who is in line to stick around after, and you can keep asking the panelists if they don't have to go home yet. (laughs) Uh,
4: Impressive in-depth discussion. Thank you. Uh, I notice uh, that scientists and engineers are not really up to election and mostly lawyers and social scientists. Do you see any changes might be happening that younger engineers, scientists can come on board, which
0: may have a bit different voice than lawyer and social scientists.
4: I mean, I think we were at an event at the University of San Francisco the other day. There is this, uh, I, I think partially because of the economy that we're in right now, there's been a push for ensuring that that young people have the skills to succeed in a 21st century, rapidly transforming economy, which often has more, more space for engineers than anything else, which is really important. But that means that skills in subjects like civics are traditionally pushed out of the curriculum. Um, So I would say, I mean, we need, I mean, as Nigel said, we need everybody to participate, and so that includes. I mean, we don't just want people in the in the humanities to participate. Um, we need everyone, and the way to do that is to ensure that this type of education is offered to absolutely everyone, um, and and that um, this is not seen as a niche. And I mean, it would be great to have more politicians that that aren't just lawyers as well. Um, and and so i think i think that's something we can all agree on it's, but, but i think that that starts with ensuring that k12 and higher education uh, are ensuring that we're not just solely focused on this notion of a 21st century economy and not just solely focused on ensuring that that people can can gain meaningful meaningful employment which is so necessary but all the skills that all of these young people have demonstrated today in terms of effective civic skills are totally transferable into the workforce too. Um, so I think the more that we recognize that, the more that we recognize educating for democracy and citizenship can transfer into the economy, uh, the more that we'll get folks from all different disciplines that actually participate.
1: Here's the part where I give you the final hardball question and make you sweat bullets. It is an informed tradition to ask all of our speakers what is your 60-second idea to change the world? I know it's difficult. Um, maybe take a minute to think about it. And if any of you would like to start, jump out. If you wouldn't, I will mercilessly pick on you. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. All right, Rigel. You're giving me the
2: a, Okay.
1: You um, didn't give me the secret signal, so I'm going <laughs> to pass that along to you.
2: Yeah. Uh, all right. You know, I, when I when I think about a lot of you know, the the work I did today and, and how I got here, and even how how lucky I was to to go to UC Berkeley at all, I, I think of the context that I grew up in. Um, as much as you know, most of my family's in California, I actually grew up out of state in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, in a very lovely neighborhood in one of the suburbs of St. Louis. St. Louis being. One of the most segregated cities in the entire country by design. I went to incredible public schools, had fantastic teachers who were pretty, you know, relatively well paid. But just down Highway 40 from me, there were other school districts with nowhere near the resources uh, because of how our city is planned. Um, And even though, you know, residential segregation outright ended some time ago, our cities more or less still look the way they did years ago. And in some cases are actually literally more segregated today than they were when residential segregation was legal. And a lot of that is because of how we zone our cities. So just a a few months ago, Minneapolis um, made history by being the first major US city to actually kind of tackle this issue head on and they effectively abolished single family zoning in the city to allow more affordable and diverse types of housing to be built into all neighborhoods so that our wealthiest richest whitest enclaves could become affordable to all sorts of other people which is a project that me and some friends are working on at the, uh, the council level in Berkeley right now with something we're calling the, uh, the Missing Middle Initiative to try to diversify the types of housing that can be built in every single neighborhood in Berkeley. Because even even Berkeley, as progressive as it is, you know, it is, it wasn't that long ago um, before the, the street that cuts through the middle of town that we call today Martin Luther King Jr. Way was Grove Street. And that was at one time the red line that cut through the city where if you weren't white, You could not live uphill of that line and today we we still see a lot of those racial lines even if they're not explicit implicit in the ways that our laws are built and we're working to change that and that will open doors over over centuries for for better schools for all sorts of people so that more young people can realize the gifts they have and and make use of them the best that they can
1: that's a powerful answer and you killed it. So no need to be so afraid now. Um it looks like Scott, you were raising your hand to so oh, i wasn't get in there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
1: So So I'll, I'll I'll try to I'll try to be be, be brief. I, I so
4: I have to talk about lowering the the, the, the voting needs. go a step further. I think that uh one of the biggest problems we have in this country is that the majority of people want reforms that government is not providing. Um so if you think about gun control, if you think about some of these housing issues. Um, And so I would say that that actually having voting be mandatory um, would ensure that every person is actually represented, you saw what just happened in, in, in New Zealand, which does have mandatory voting, how quickly they acted. Um, Australia had the same thing when they, when they you know, when they wanted to institute gun control. If we had mandatory voting, so many of the reforms that we want to put into place would happen. Um, and so I think that that's something that we're often queasy about as Americans, but we don't have a democracy that represents the will of the people. Um, and I think that you just see in countries that do have that, that, that it, it does so better. So that's a little bolder than lowering the voting age to 16, but I actually think would go a lot further in terms of getting a more equitable democracy.
3: Mm,
1: That's awesome. Um, Do either of you want to hop in there? You look a little nervous. Maybe, okay, I'll give you a second. I'll throw in my two cents to give you guys another second to think. My little short 60-second-ish idea is nothing quite as maybe informed or awesomely political as these two gentlemen over here. But, I mean, perhaps maybe it's just that... We all need to start by listening to each other and having compassion for each other, not just listening so that we can get our own side of the table listened to or our own opinions, our own agenda, but also understanding that perhaps we want other people to live the best lives they can as well and to just all treat each other nicely or maybe follow the golden rule like we're older than fifth graders. With that being said, now i 've given you a little sixty second stall, so i 'm making eye contact with you, Nora I'll do it.
0: <laughs> well, um, if I had sixty seconds to change the world or whatever um, i would I would end all juvenile halls because I think that that is just unfair treatment of children and should not be a thing. I think that I would give everyone access to a culturally aware and incredible education that would lead them to whatever path they want to pursue in life, especially music education. That's something that's really important to me. Um, I would, uh, I don't even have a timer. I'm so stressed out. Um, (laughs) I would, I would reform the prison system to make sure that it was actually, as we named our committee, transformative justice and restorative justice, as opposed to punishment for, um, crimes that often happen because of the situation that someone grows up in Um, I would make healthcare accessible to all people because I think that healthcare is a right I would make housing accessible to all people because I think housing is a right I would um, there's a lot I would change Um, yeah I don't know I think that's pretty much I hit all the big ones yeah
1: a A time it was 59 seconds so we'll let you slide
3: um so you two took two things i was gonna say so um but to bounce off of the housing i would definitely want to make sure every single person has a house has clean water and food because it's unacceptable that we have over 4,000 homeless youth in alameda county alone and it's really just a basic human right that everyone's entitled to there's no reason as to why someone deserves a giant mansion and as to why someone deserves to sleep in a tent by the freeway. It's absolutely unacceptable, and it needs to change, like, now. And I think we really need to recognize that it's a big issue. I think people talk about it, and you can say it, but what are you doing? I think that people really need to start, um, well, stop complaining and start making change because, you know, it just takes one person, one voice, one action to really help combat issues. And, you know, when that happens, we can really start helping our world. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: Well, I just want to thank you all so much for coming again. I mean, you guys are totally kicking asses and taking names. And I am glad to be living in a world where you guys, people like you, are pushing it forward and changing tomorrow. I'd like to give a large round of applause one more time for our panel. Thank you so much to Rigel Robinson, Nora Hilton, Scott Warren, and Lexi Tesh for coming. I'd also like to thank you, the audience, for coming listening and supporting these people and the work they do. Um, And thank you to Inforum and the Commonwealth Club for hosting us and just being the awesome organization that they are. Scott will be out in the lobby signing books, so if you want to bombard him, that would be your one and only chance. Thank you all so much for coming. My name's Seth Marshall with YR Media. Have a great night.
3: Can we take the waters
4: with us?
1: Sure. <laughs>